Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours as always. Well, today's episode, I know there's so many of them, but this is a very special one for me personally. Uh, one of my earliest influences when we were starting to imagine being in a group was the avant-garde style of the band The Residents. And I'm extremely honoured to be talking to Homer Flynn, who's the official spokesperson for The Residents from the Cryptic Corporation, which is like the management and marketing arm of The Residents. For those of you who don't know who The Residents are, uh, you need to go and have a look online because they are an astounding, I don't know, avant-garde art rock collective, I suppose. Highly influential, never got the kind of commercial success they deserved. They're originally from the south of America, I think they were born, and they spent most, most of their life in San Francisco. I can't possibly sum up their career in this little intro. intro. Uh, you're going to have to listen to this. It's one of my favourites. Here he is, Homer Flynn from The Residence. So, please tell me about how you originally got involved with um, with The Residence and, what, and when that actually fully started for you. Uh, well... You know, I had known um, the residents really since um, high school. Um, th- there was a uh, um, actually a kind of anti-fraternity fraternity right. uh, in high school and college that the residents started. It was called Delta New. And um, so I was never really part of Delta Nu, but I kind of admired the spirit of it. Um, And then um, ultimately, all of us kind of came out separately. There was no there was no master plan. Uh, You know, the reality was that. um, Oh, you know. We, we were all in the South, uh, all in Louisiana. And um, at that time, um, I suppose as it still is, <laughs> the South was not a very pleasant place to be. It's like the, the, the king of the South at that time was George Wallace. Uh, George Christ. Wallace was kind of the original Donald Trump. And um, meanwhile, meanwhile, hippies were starting to uh, sprout uh in various places and uh the hippies were a lot more attractive than donald than um george wallace so um but there was no master plan everybody kind of came out separately and then um you know several of the residents were living together and um you know we we had all had a uh very strong interest in the music scene that was happening in San Francisco at that time. And, um, you know, kind of what happened, or at least my observation was that musically, that was a very interesting and eclectic time. Um, A lot of different groups doing different things. But what happened would be that people would, would, the ones that became successful would kind of uh, 
find their, you know, their formula, they'd find their, their, their niche. And then, uh, and then ultimately, rather than continuing to experiment, uh, that that's what they would continue doing. And um, the residents who were fans of a lot of these bands kind of thought, well, you know, we'd like to continue that, that kind of like legacy of, of experimentation. Uh, so that was really their inspiration. And then um, after, uh, I don't know, two or three years or something like that, um, ultimately, I was kind of following them. Um, and, and the thing is, I've always been an admirer of their creativity and their ideas, but, um, they were not very good business people. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, matter of fact, they were, they, they were horrible. So, um, so ultimately that's when, um, uh, me and a couple of other colleagues uh stepped in to to manage them and we created the cryptic corporation um as uh uh you know really as a kind of uh facade uh essentially business and promotion uh for the residents to to run that part of it for them because you know one they weren't very interested in it two they weren't very good at it yeah, I've got a question for you about the Cryptic Corporation because I'm curious to know or to what your opinion is about if this kind of equally kind of nebulous uh, organization uh, hadn't come into being and there'd been a more of a traditional manager. I don't, uh, my personal view is I don't think that the residents would have been as uh, as uh, pioneering. You know, the fact that, you, that actually the, the, the kind of public facing part of it is also kind of cryptic, as well as the residents, just makes perfect sense to me as an artist. And um, what, what's your view on that? I mean, say, for instance, if they'd been a more of a traditional kind of, you know, normal music business mafia type manager. Um, you, you mean what would the result have been if that? Yeah, uh, I mean, what, how do you think it would have? Yeah, how do you think it would have affected the development of uh, uh, of the? Well, rest? it's really hard to say. I mean, obviously, a, a more shall we say traditional manager could probably have you know, gotten record deals for them and maybe more publicity and whatever. But at the same time, um, I, th I think it would have had a tendency to have, um, you know, held them, held them back. Uh, it, there would have been pressure on them to, to be more commercial. Um, oh, yeah. wh whereas the cryptic corporation has always taken the point of view that uh, we want the residents to be the residents and um, su support their vision, what, whatever it may be. Um, so it, I, I think it would have been, I think it would have been different. And honestly, I think there's some, some segment of the residents that would have rebelled against that. I think it's marvelous. I mean, I, that's 
one of the main reasons I love the residents so much is because I literally uh, had no idea what was coming next. Um, and it heavily influenced um, when I became a, a recording artist myself, it heavily influenced uh, the way that I approached my work because I always wanted it to, I always wanted there to be a, if you like, a cryptic element to, to what we did and also have an integrated kind of artistic um, world that, that was being built over time. And I think the residents were the perfect kind of, uh, uh, you know, template for, for that as far as I was concerned. Um, right. I'm good, good friends with um, Je uh, Jerry Casali from Diva, who obviously was on the documentary about the residents, and uh, it was pretty much influenced by by what you guys were doing and 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 uh and i was thinking about the films that they used to have i went to see them in the mid 70s uh in sheffield in the north of england and uh i saw their stage show where they had the films and the uh, obviously the band were performing with the with the suits on and they they interacted with the films and the you know, the classic um film about the meeting with the record company going, hey, you're messing with daddy's cap. I can forgive you for being an artist, but I can't forgive you for being stupid and all that stuff. And it just reminds me of what you were talking about with the residents there. Were you uh, fans of Devo? I mean, fans is probably too strong a word. Were you, uh, did you see them as brothers in arms, I suppose? Uh, yeah, to, 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 to some extent. And, <clears throat> you know, especially compared to say the more conventional music world um i mean it's, it's kind of interesting i mean i can remember uh having lunch one day with uh elliot roberts and uh and and bill gerber and i mean the funny thing was um i have never heard a music management person trash anybody <laughs> as much as Elliot Roberts just trashed Devo kind of up one side and down the other. Um, wow. I mean, his, his point of view was that they were, uh, that, that lookout management was working as hard as they could, you know, to create meetings with uh, film executives and, and you know w ways to uh, to extend Devo into other other areas, and uh, every time they'd have a meeting, that uh, Devo would kind of sab uh, sabotage the meeting. Uh, <laughs> That's so Devo. I mean, so so yeah. Sorry, carry on. In in a way, you maybe look. That may have been. Um, that may have been a, a good reflection of what it would have been like for the residents had they really gone full out in that in that direction. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of performance art element to what they were doing as well, and that's another similarity. Um, I remember going to dinner with Devo once, and um, Mark Mothersbaugh turned up in a full head rubber Jesus mask and proceeded, and we proceeded to have dinner. And he never took it off. 
<laughs> Never spoke <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good, actually, as a piece of performance art. Um, anyway, right, more, more, yeah, more, more, more performance art than dinner companion, that's for sure. Well, he uh, must have gone home hungry, but I suppose he didn't. He didn't mind too much. Um, so you've, I mean, you've released a gigantic amount of content. I mean, the, sorry, I'm including you with the residency. For the, for yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Rather than referring to to them in a third person all the time, so um, I, I mean it's a prodigious amount of work, um, and it ranges all the way from almost sarcastically commenting in a kind of meta way on on contemporary culture through to truly uh, you know out there avant-garde performance art to films to cd roms to uh, i mean it's we i mean the the work ethic is what i'm getting at the work ethic of uh, the residents is something that is is a shining example for everybody involved in the music industry and so i suppose the point of what i'm saying is some things made money some things clearly lost money from what i've read and and uh, watched interviews and stuff how on earth did you keep that that boat afloat you know just from a a, a kind of logistic point of view well <clears throat> you know um bob dylan has, has a line that i always that i always love and it's uh you know, there's no success like failure, and failure is no success at all. And um, for the most part, from a financial and business point of view, the residents are total failures. I mean, um, there have certainly been things that were, shall we say, closer to being successful, <laughs> um, but n n nothing that one would really refer to as a as a hit, as a real moneymaker, uh, the, the closest thing that really ever came to that was, you know, um, for their um, Stars and Hanks album, you know, they did Hank, they did Hank Williams and uh, <laughs> Hank Williams, Kalijah, um, you know, that actually sold for a small label um, in um, in Holland, uh, sold really quite well. But, but the, the things that made it sell were first off, the residents were were incredibly early in terms of sampling. Um, so so they sampled um, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean uh, to get that. If you listen to the song, you can get that bass line totally clear right in the beginning. And so they then built the song off of an incredibly successful <laughs> Michael Jackson song. And then um, the the record label uh, Buddhist um, in um, in in Amsterdam, you know, they got um, they were doing early remixes. So they got, you know, very good oh. kind of dance re remixers to go in. And it was playing on dance floors, you know, all over Europe. But, you know, 
it had nothing to do with the residents <laughs> other than the fact that they 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 were the the germ that started it uh and then it kind of took on a life of its own that's amazing um so we have to talk about the eyeballs how did that come about Uh, you, is that where did the as a costume, come from? As a costume or, with the top hats, really. Yeah. Well, the resident's original uh, initial idea was that every project was going to have a new faceless image or, or identity. You know, so you have the newspaper suits and you have the asbestos suits and, and there, there are other things <clears throat> in that early era. Uh, but when it came time for the Eskimo album, they wanted something really different. And so, you know, I'm their, I'm their visual guy. Uh, I'm the one that's done most of the album covers and promotional photos and whatever. So, so they, you know, they told me, yeah, we, we really need something different. And so I had this idea. The idea that I had was a, um, like a silver globe, kind of like a, a, a Christmas tree ornament or something with a top hat on it. Um, <laughs> and they went, yeah, they went, yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds cool. So I went, I went to LA to, to deal with costume makers uh, to find somebody that could do that. And everybody told me, no, that'll never work. That'll never work. It'll just fog up on the inside and, you know, they won't be able to breathe in there and they can't hear and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so I went back to them and said, eh, yeah, no, this is, this is not really going to work. And um, so people kept batting ideas back and forth and somebody comes up with an eyeball and, um, and, you know, the eyeball is almost as bad as the silver globe <laughs> for the, for the, for the person that's inside of it, but it does have a small porthole in the oh. front that you can see out of, um, you know, you can't wear one for too long without, uh, you know, without, having breathing problems and you, you can't you can hear okay but not great but anyway um everybody decided that was all right and 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 these costume makers in in la were able to to make those and um so then that then became the image for the cover of eskimo and the residents at that point were ready to move on uh to whatever was next and um and ultimately, they, the outcry, primarily from fans, was, no, 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 this is it. This is great. You can't, you can't change anything now. It's branding, um, isn't it? It's branding, really. Yeah, it is. It is branding. It's exactly what it is. And um, so, I mean, ultimately, at this point, I don't think anybody has worn one uh, in terms of performance or, or whatever. As a matter of fact, you know, there are about, four different um iterations of the eyeballs um but th th through one oh theft or <laughs> or loss or whatever there, there is no complete set anymore of oh, four no. identical wow you need to go on um, there's a program in the uk on tv called antiques roadshow i don't know if you have it in the in the uh, 
Yeah, it sounds like one of those things that people would bring to the Antiques Roadshow and go, oh, we need to complete the set for it to be worth anything, worth a lot, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I, I, it would be, it would, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it would be an interesting thing to do for sure, just to see what kind of reaction you would get in that kind of environment. I think, um, one of your kind of i bet you've got an enormously loyal fan base and and obviously they buy a lot of merchandise and stuff over the years i bet there's a few people out there who have become incredibly wealthy in the in the interim period who will probably pay quite a lot of money for those things you know it's worth thinking about you know i i expect i expect that would be the case um you know one of the original it's history what's that it's history it is history yeah yeah but um you know i i was in um new orleans for my 70th birthday several years ago and um one of the eyeballs was in a museum show that one this is one of the original eyeballs was in a museum show that was traveling around the world. Um, wow. it, it went from New York to Europe to New Zealand, back to Seattle, I think. Wow. And so what happened was somebody, whoever was in charge of this, I don't remember who it was now, ultimately was shipping it back to me from Seattle to San Francisco. But they neglected to tell me. No. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I get this uh, notice from, from FedEx, you know, wh- while I'm in New Orleans, saying that they are <clears throat> in the process of delivering this eyeball to my house. <laughs> and um, at which point I kind of panicked. <clears throat> and started trying to get people to go over and look and um and ultimately it was it was stolen from a landing oh. uh, and if you know right right at the entrance to my uh to my flat and um but the good thing is i mean i i would still i i would take the eyeball back if i could get it in any way <clears throat> but ultimately it was insured and um, we got $100,000 for that eyeball uh, from the insurance company. Um, so a certain value has been established for them. <laughs> like you need to, right, here's a, mar- a marketing concept. Never mind touring the world and losing money. You need to make some replicas and start marketing them, I think. You know, like the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> The Wu-Tang Clan did that album where they just released one copy of it and they sold it for a million dollars. And um, I think you should do some more stuff like that. I think it'd be great. (laughs) Well, there actually was a guy who was manufacturing them not too long ago. Um, He was, he wasn't, you know, the, um, the original ones were made out of neoprene which is a very hard, hard rubber. Uh, and then the second generation 
um, which I refer to as the uh, photo eyeballs, because they're the ones that are, you know, the, the original ones. <laughs> you know what happens to stuff when you tour? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the original ones uh, got kind of beat up. And uh, at one point during the CD-ROM era, you know, the, the, comp the companies that we were involved with wanted to do a whole round of publicity you know, based on the eyeballs and the top hats, but the eyeballs look too shitty. So we had new ones made, uh, which I refer to as the photo eyeballs. Um, but uh, those were made out of <clears throat> kind of plastic. Um, but the guy who made the, uh, the ones that were sold, he was a mask maker. Uh, so he made them out of more like the kind of rubber that if, if you buy a Halloween mask and you put it on your head and it goes over, so, so uh, they look pretty good, but still they're not as, uh, they're not as, I don't know, durable as the, uh, as the originals. Interesting. Cause um, I, I lived in, in Venice for several decades. And uh, of course I went to the, uh, the carnival every year. And all right. uh, so I'm a bit of an expert on carnival masks and all that stuff. And of course, over there, it's it's all papier mache. And I, I was thinking yeah. maybe it'd be made out of that because that actually, strangely enough, are very resilient. You know, because they're very flexible. They don't get dented or cracked or anything. They're pretty, you know, yeah. pretty rough. And um, yeah, that's anyway curious. So um, I can't believe we're doing, and I'm doing an hour's interview about the residents. We just spent ten minutes on eyeballs. I think that's great. Um, so we talked about. I, I guess the other thing is um, the residents are highly collaborative, obviously, and I think this is a key right. part of, of the entire oeuvre. Really, um, I wanted to ask you, in your opinion what the most successful collaborations have been throughout the years with the residents? Uh, well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question to say what's, what's the most successful. I don't necessarily um, mean, uh, I don't mean um, financially. I mean, artistically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I, creatively. Um, you know, I personally, I would point at, the Demons Dance Alone tour um, because the Demons Dance Alone tour, for one thing, had a, a fairly large version of the band, but then it also had three different singer performers um, fronting the band. And then one, one of those um, was a a dancer and the dancer was the one who uh portrayed the demon and um there was just a, a very lively sense of you know collaboration and you know not not so much total improvision but certainly improvision at times and, and a lot of improvision on the part of the dancer 
uh, you know, that to me is certainly one of their most, if not their most, I would say successful tour from a, from a, uh, you know, from a creative point of view and, and, and improvisational point of view. Yeah. Is that on, uh, can you see that online anywhere? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't really know. Um, I would think so, but I'm not really sure. It's been, you know, it's been a while. That's probably 20 years ago. Right. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you didn't have the, uh, ubiquitous, uh, phone yeah, yeah. <laughs> that everybody sticks in your face when you, when you yeah, perform well, now. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't officially filmed. No. Um, you know, there's been so many of them at this point. Uh, you know, a lot of times those things have been filmed and filmed quite quite well in Europe. And um, whether demons got shot in in Europe or not, I really don't know. Right. Uh, but you know, you, you should you should I'll go on YouTube and do a search. Yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, obviously, they want to go down various rabbit holes online. That's why that, that's why I'm asking the question. And um, I do as well. So um, the documentary that I, I saw, um, the name escapes me now, but it was fantastic. I loved it. And um, when did that come, come out? Maybe, was that pre-COVID? It must have been. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, you're talking about theory of obscurity. Yeah, that's it. Theory of obscurity. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that. That came out. I think in 2015. Right. So just kind of yeah, a couple of years before COVID. Yeah. A fantastic piece of work. I ever since I watched it because I'd never seen it before. I did research for this. I've been just saying to everyone, saying just go and watch this online. It's an in for as an artist, particularly young people who want to be have an artistic career and regard doing something artistic as being the reward. They it's the most inspirational documentary I've ever seen for for that. I think um, I love it to death, and I it really gave me the impression that the residents uh, will never ever stop creating and being. Um, and innovating. And so on that basis, what's coming up next for the residents? Uh, well, several things. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that, that you should mention that documentary. I mean, that was, that was done by um, a guy named Don Hardy. Um, Don, Don really is a journalist. Um, and and he took a very journalistic approach towards that documentary. Um, well, we we were approached about two or three years ago by a um, a French documentary filmmaker, uh, and she's more of a, a art documentary, and her name is Marie Lossier, uh, and she's very well established. I mean, some she has films in. Uh, the Museum of Modern Art, uh, you know, the, the film that she did that, that I saw that really sold me 
Well, she she did one on a um, gay Mexican wrestler um, that that I just loved. I mean, she went to Mexico and stayed with this guy for like six weeks, uh, and then and did this amazing uh, documentary. So anyway, uh, Marie was just here. Uh, she only left about a week or ten days ago, and was here for about six or seven weeks uh, shooting a documentary. Uh, and I mean, I, you know, I really like Don Hardy's documentary too, but what, what I'm really liking is that what Marie is going to do will be 180 degrees different. So, right. so, so you'll have these two contrasting points of view, uh, which I think is, is, is very cool and in a way, very kind of residential. Um, but, um, the residents right now are working on a new album. Um, they have connected with a guy, um, who is, um, a classical conductor and he is the music director for the San Francisco conservatory. And, um, he, he lived here several years ago, uh, moved away, went different places. Um, and then, and then moved back about. I don't know, three years ago, something like that. And when he came back, and he's a huge residence fan. Uh, and when he came back, uh, he, one of his primary goals was to collaborate with, with the residents. Um, and this, this is, a, this is a guy who some time ago was responsible. You probably heard about this concert of Metallica and, um, the San Francisco symphony. And uh, so he's the guy that was behind that. Oh, cool. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so he's going to be involved in the new album. Um, and then... Um, so is that going to be... One thing that everybody... Is that going to be orchestral? Partially. Partially, right. Partially. I mean, you know, the residents are playing kind of with two different music forms on this. And it has... It, it has two two primary characters, or really really three characters, um, but the, the part of it is kind of punkish, and part of it is kind of classical ish. So you have those kind of two different forms, kind of in a way, kind of uh, clashing with each other uh, as, as a yeah, part of the idea of the album. Um, but um, the other thing is that um, the residents will be bringing their God in Three Persons performance uh, to the UK in oh, cool. um, April. And everybody is extremely excited about that. You know, um, of, you know, the residents have done, as you say, a, a huge number of <laughs> different projects, ideas, concepts over the years. And some of them have gone on, you know, they kind of, usually they generate something as a musical piece. Uh, and then sometimes it takes on life of its own in a different form. Uh, that could be a tour, that could be some other kind of performance. It could be some kind of visual piece. So of, of everything that they had done, the top of the list, of things that they would like to see developed further 
was God in three persons. Right. And um, so, you know, the Museum of Modern Art has been incredibly uh, supportive of the residents. And so we, we started talking to them some time ago about, about doing this. And, um, and ultimately the world had the world premiere of God in Three Persons as a theater piece at the Museum of Modern Art in 2020. Fantastic. And um, the, the, the thing that to me really elevated this to another level, uh, you know, once again, going back to collaboration, the residents are collaborating with a, a video artist named John Sanborn um, on this. And so the residents, you know, I mean, and me, you know, every, everybody was extremely happy with, you know, the music from God in three persons and the, the text, you know, which is, which is very interesting and very visual. And, um, but Sanborn's video really elevated it to another level. Um, so anyway, the, 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 the premiere of it was at the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, everybody felt, you know, this is a show that we've got to get to Europe. People, people in Europe are going are gonna to love this. Oh, yeah. And, and then COVID lockdown, COVID lockdown, um. COVID lockdown. Every, every time it seemed like something was set up to take it over there, there would be a, a you know, things would get canceled because it, it, everything got locked down. Yeah. So anyway, um, ultimately, you know, um, we have made contact um, with the guy who is uh, a guy named Steve Homer, um, who is the head of AEG Presents in the UK. And uh, turns out he is a fan. So he's the one that has gotten behind this. Uh, so there are going to be five shows uh, in early April. Uh, in the UK, and now we, we've just added uh, a sixth show in in Athens, um, which cool. which should be pretty great. And uh, so so the whole thing seems to be rolling along at this point. Uh, I mean, I it's think a, the, I think the you know, the UK shows will sell out. I'm telling you, because there's a big latent fan base of um, uh, yeah. I mean, you 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 know, the residents are, are legends. You know essentially uh, and it's an overused word in today's world but you you literally are and um another idea i thought for you guys would be great i don't know if you have i don't know if you saw it but um i mean it with my other hat on i i, I run a company with um that does 3d sound installations and we do a lot of work with museums and you know, and, and one-off bespoke shows in big uh, big theatres and outdoors as well. And I thought that a um, a multimedia show as a, as a, just purely as an exhibition, a touring exhibition, might be something yeah. people would. I mean, have you have, have you done that sort of thing? Uh, not anything specifically like that. You're something talking about something that would play more like museums and galleries. Yeah, and yeah. But um, I, what I was thinking was the the um, David Bowie one that, that toured the world was a multimedia uh -huh. show that that incorporated his um, you know his costumes, different stages of his career, yeah. uh, right. an immersive soundscape as you wandered around it, 
and uh, and all that stuff. And I think the residents would be an amazing subject matter for for um, for that sort of thing. I just think you are literally apart. Well, no, no, even more so than Devo, because you have this kind of uh, um, uh, holistically kind of this capsule of creativity that could be perfectly put into a a, a multimedia immersive environment. Anyway, it's just a thought I had. No, I I, I agree with you completely. I mean, you know, there's been this, uh, oh, Van Gogh, yeah, yeah, immersive that that I didn't see. Uh, I read very mixed reviews about, but I, I, I got it from the point of view of what the form was, and and my immediate thought was that yeah, the residents were are made for this. Made for um, it. Yeah, but the the, the problem is you, you you need somebody with money <laughs> yeah. that, that agrees with that. Yeah, but listen, Homer, the, 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 these shows are making money. Let me tell you. I mean, the Van, uh, the Van Gogh show, I uh, haven't seen, but I know all about it. And there are several shows going on like that in, in London at the moment. And um, a lot of them are literally just taking the original artwork and blowing, uh, blowing it up into yeah. big... I'm not, right. That's not what really I'm talking about here. I'm talking about more of a uh, yeah. of an artistic approach, you know. Uh, but you can still use the same resources... And I, I think, and I know that they charge, you know, proper money to get into these shows. So we were talking, yeah, yeah, hundred bucks. You know, this is no joke. Right. Uh, so I, I know it sounds highly unlikely, but I mean, I'm sure if somebody like the um, the South Bank Centre, who are, you know, friends of mine, I'm I'm talking to them about doing something at the moment. The South Bank Centre in London and. Places like the uh, Victorian Albert Museum, uh, which put the David Bowie show on. Um, there are lots of places in London, for instance, that I think might be interested in this. Anyway, we'll talk offline about this because I know it seems like an insurmountable thing from a financial point of view, but I think I, I, I think there'd be an appetite for it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's just... You know the, the the problem is convincing somebody with the resources to make it happen. I'm 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 absolutely down with helping in any way I can. Uh, so we need to talk. Sure. Cool. Sure. Anyway, let's move back to the uh, to the main thing. So, I mean, you, the this the scope of stuff that you've done is just immense, of course. And then you know, there's things like the. You've even done like kind of paid podcasts, the radio drama idea, the bunny boy. Tell us about how that came about. Um, well, you know, the the residents, as as much as anything, uh, you know, I mean, it's like. You know they they have gotten better musically over the years, but they're, they're not really um, musicians. To me, they're more storytellers. Yeah. Uh, that 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 use music in a way to uh, help tell those stories, and um, so and and they're constantly trying to explore or exploring new forms. Uh, 
And um, so when the whole idea of, uh, of uh, you know, podcasts and, and internet series started to take shape, uh, they kind of felt like this was something that they had to, they really wanted to explore. And uh, so ultimately, um, you know, the, the, you know, there are always eccentric characters hanging around uh, the edges of the residence. And um, I won't say that, that Bunny was completely taken literally, but there was, there was a, somebody in their periphery uh, that was very kind of inspirational uh, for the, for the bunny character and, um, and using him as an inspiration and, and working with him in terms of ideas, they just had, that then became the idea for them to explore in terms of, uh, an internet series. Wow. Well, uh, anyway, go and check it out. Everybody who's listening to the podcast, cause I think amazing. Um, so let's talk briefly about, um, I mean, what's the, I'm, I'm fascinated with the future of music. I don't want to go on about artificial intelligence because I think it's a bit of a bland term, to be honest. But um, how do you perceive the kind of future of music as, we, as we're looking? It's a broad question, I know. But I just thought you might have some opinions on that on behalf of the residents. Um, well, it's kind of hard to, to tell. You know, I've certainly seen a lot of change over the course of my lifetime. Um, and, you know, one, one of the biggest changes that I always lamented, um, you know, when I was young, um, you know, I've always listened to a lot of music, uh, but for the most part, the people that were creating the music that that I liked, uh, or at least a lot of them, um, were you know small independent labels, um, you know Chess Records, uh, Chess and Checker Records. I mean, uh, so many, so many of those, and um, and ultimately, I mean, everybody that works at something like that. Everybody wants to make money. There's nothing wrong with making, making money so you can support yourself doing something like that. But on the other hand, um, it seemed like there was a point where music went from, you know, something in the, the sidelines of culture to more, you know, in, towards the center of it. And the, the bigger it got, you know, like in the, say the eighties and the nineties, well then, you know, the more the more money and and money people it attracted, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and 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 ultimately, it's in became. I mean, you know, you, you talked about about Devo, and it's like, you know, Devo Devo had their hit, Whip It, and it's like after that, the next album that came out everything sounded like a different version of whip it, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, there was all the pressure in the world on them to, to repeat that hit. And, 
this was certainly a change that I felt like I saw in the music business that I, that I did not embrace. Um, now, the, the, the other thing that has, has changed is that, um, and, you know, the residents in a way were kind of at the forefront of this, but it's like the tools to create music have, have become increasingly accessible. Uh, I mean, it used to, you couldn't really make a record <clears throat> that that would sound professional that people would would listen would buy and listen to, you know, unless you went into a recording studio. Um, now you can make a record on your phone. <laughs> uh, people and, do. And, yeah, yeah, and and all the tools that you need to do that are also available on your on your phone. You know, if if not your computer, and um, and I find that I find that fascinating. Um, the, the thing that I find frustrating is that I know that there's so many people out there with access to these tools and a, a strong sense of creativity, but it's hard to find your music. Um, yeah. We're turning into a world where the important thing is how much marketing clout you have rather than how, I mean, there's so much content out there. How the hell do people find it? That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I you know, I, I I get most of my music through uh, Spotify. Yeah, me too. Um, which which I have mixed feelings about. I mean, you know, when it, when it's feeding me a good stream of of interesting stuff, I'm going, wow, this is really cool. You know, when it when it sometimes it gets to the end of its playlist and it goes into what I call mush mode, and it's just playing. <laughs> one boring piece of mush after another and I reject, reject, reject. Yeah. Uh, I even, I even tried Apple music for a while. And from my point of view, it was worse. Oh, uh, Apple. I think Apple music isn't as good. I mean, from that point of view, I agree. Um, but what I found with Spotify is um, if you, if you don't fall into the trap of, regarding it as a single branch, which then branches, branches, branches. I, I think from yeah. time to time, one has to switch mode completely. And then the algorithm somehow understands uh, that you are looking for a variety of things and doesn't make your taste recommendations quite as narrow. That's what I've discovered anyway. So I, I switch yeah, well, I, I, extreme, I, I, extreme orchestral recently, music yeah. and then hip hop and then, you know, all that stuff all the time. Yeah. No, I've done some of that recently myself and was, and was successful in yeah. getting off into new areas. Exactly. Uh, well, we're coming to the end of this, Homer. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> uh, no, I've really enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. Um, so I, at the end of all these, um, I've got a couple of, I always make stupid notes. So there's a couple of things I need to ask you before we go. Um, I had this concept, uh, this this idea came to me when I was listening to one of your other interviews. There's the, you, the, the residents apportion kind of equal weight to text, to art and to music. It's not a music band. They're all everybody identifies it as such. They, they tend to regard it as music with bells and whistles, but it's not. It's a, it's a, it, it, to me, it's like a Venn diagram of these three things. What do you think? Is Have I analyzed that correctly? Is that? 
No, I, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, um, you know, once again, the residents do music. They love music. Um, but but they're storytellers. They're also performers. So uh, and 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 visual um, artists, too. So uh, so so you're 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 covering, you know, I mean, you know, for, for, for want of a better cliche, you know, they're really multimedia artists. Really, and and that unfortunately, that whole multimedia artist thing has become a kind of banal uh, trope. But it, it you yeah, and uh, as part part of the whole residence world, have made this such a, a an exciting journey for people from the music world um, to to enter into you know. I mean, my my concept as an artist is that every uh, everything is an influence on me. So what I am, what I eat, you know, I live in the centre of London. If I lived in the middle of the countryside, I'd be writing bucolic, you know, kind of fucking whale song music, you know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and I've tried it and it, it's exactly what happens. So I think, you know, the idea that, you know, you read a novel, you go to an art gallery, blah, blah, blah. I know it's, a banal thought but to me it's worth ramming home to particularly to young artists that you should take your inspirations from a multitude of different artistic expressions and i think you know frankly the residents are the best example of it that's what i think well and and, and when you and when you speak of you know the future of music and my thoughts in, in a lot of ways that's more what i see you know as as as, as opposed to music by musicians you know, I, I I see more. You know, uh, artists who have things to say, and they use music as one one of the tools that they you know make these statements with. But also, too, you know, they're visual artists and they're writers, and uh, that's that's kind of more what I see as the future. I think it's beautiful, and also the concept of this kind of multimedia collage theory. Uh, where, you know, a, a piece of work could manifest in, uh, I don't know, a piece of performance or, or an exhibition or a musical performance. And sometimes the primacy can be the the visual part of it or the performance part, and sometimes it can be the music that leads it. And I love that kind of admixture of different, um, different things. So uh, thank you is all I'm saying, really. Uh, for yeah, you know, I, I've I've had this conversation with other people and 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 referred to the residents more as collage artists than musicians, and um, you know, I'm the same way uh, in terms of giving um, visual content to what they do. You know, I, I work in Photoshop. You know, I I I, I create you know fairly sophisticated collages uh to to illustrate what it is that you know they want me to say and lest we forget as a final thought before i ask you a couple of questions at the end um playfulness humor and irony are three of the strongest ingredients of the whole residence world uh and that is actually the bait that got me on the hook personally as a as a fan and continues to keep me on the hook. Uh, do you, do you uh, agree with that? No, I agree with that completely. Um, 
although it's kind of funny, it's when the, when the residents started, um, they were there. There was a lot of humor in their stuff, and there still is a lot of humor in it. But um, maybe it was more blatant or more obvious. And you know, they started hearing people referring to him as like a rock and roll Spike Jones or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not that they had any problem with Spike Jones, but that's not what they wanted to, not what they saw themselves as. So, in a lot of ways, their their humor over time is, has become more subtle. Um, yeah. It's it's certain it's certainly there, and it's an important factor for them. But it's become more subtle. Yeah, they don't want to be seen as a parody band, you know, because that is exactly. You know, that, exactly that 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 is a thing. But it's a very strong flavor in that entire mix. Um, okay, I always ask everybody who does the podcast some stupid. They're not stupid questions. They're they're uh, simple questions at the end. Um, so um, it, this is all the first thing that pops into your head. It's not like a an exam or anything. Don't worry. Um, what's your favorite film? Um, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Fellini. And, um, you know, for me, I kind of see Eight and a Half and Junior of the Spirits as kind of, you know, Junior of the Spirits is really the prequel to Eight and a Half, although they were they weren't created in that order. And uh, I kind of see them as one long film. So um, that would be very high on my list of favorites. I'll put it that way. Fantastic. Um, what's your favorite TV show from any period or box set, if you want, or anything? Um, I would say uh, Breaking Bad. Yes, God. That must be the most uh, popular answer, I think, actually. Um, and your favorite book? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Kurt Vonnegut. Me too. And, uh, um, uh, you know... Probably, um, I'm, I'm spacing out the name of it right now. Um, Not Breakfast of Champions, is it? No, 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 uh uh, it was, um, I mean, you know, uh, Cat's Cradle. Oh, yeah, is one of it, it, that's one of my favorites. Um, but, um, oh, it's, it's, I just recently reread it. Um, it's Slaughterhouse Five. Oh shit! What a great book. It's it's just brilliant, and it's never yeah. been properly filmed. I don't think it would make a great film uh, nowadays. Actually. Yeah, I think I think it was made into a film, and and it, it was, was okay. It was okay, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, favorite um, visual or conceptual artist. Um, well, visual, uh, I would say, um, Escher, MC Escher. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. Um, any unfulfilled ambitions for you personally? Um, you know, for, for me personally, um, Given, given a different lifetime, um, I would like to think I could have been a dancer. 
<laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. And funnily enough, my next question was going to be, if you'd not been involved in the with the residents and doing what you do, what would your alternative career have been? So you just answered that question. Um, do you, you can still be a dancer. Oh, well, I, I can be, but um, I, I'm not quite young enough to be the dancer I would like to become. I'll put no, it that way. True. That's true. But you can do that it would, it would, really cool kind of Tai Chi shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I certainly don't say that I, I couldn't do it, but um, to be able to uh, to be able to actually uh, emulate Fred Astaire, and I don't know if I can quite pull that off at this point. Well, I think um, what we need to do is to, is, is to give you some robotic prost prosthetic tap dancing limbs. I think <laughs> that'll do it. Okay. Uh, All right. I'll, okay. I'll take now that might be more expensive, but. Um, Okay, final question, which I ask everyone, however appropriate or not. What's your favorite synthesizer? Uh, well, um, I would, I, I, I wouldn't consider it a synthesizer, but it's in that direction. But um, to me, the the emulator. Um, yeah. yeah, I suppose so. I had one, by the way. I yeah. had an emulator too which was my main workhorse for about eight years. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, to me, the, the emulator was the thing that allowed the residents to start performing um, because they they felt like their sound, which was obviously built on layering in the studio, you know, they didn't feel that they could do justice to their sound um, with just regular instruments. Uh, but the emulator then allowed them to sample themselves and uh, at least give some kind of uh, close, reasonable proximity of, of what their what their sound was. Uh, it's, a, it's a sonic collage instrument, really, isn't it, if you think about it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Homer, it's been an absolute joy, I have to say. And I really hope to meet you when you come over to the UK. Um I, I'm not going to tap you up for free tickets. I'm going to go and buy tickets to your shows. Are they on sale yet? They are on sale. Yeah, they went on. They went on oh, sale. Um, don't miss it, everyone. Yeah, they went on sale at the beginning of the month, uh, beginning of October. Oh my God! I am definitely going to come to the. What do you know where you're playing in London? Um, Barbican. <gasps> cool, man. Oh my God. I'm definitely coming. I'm bringing a whole host of people. Okay. Good. good. Well, Luke, you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for doing yeah. this. And uh, I'm yeah. going to, we'll connect offline. I want to kind of have a, I want us to have a think about the potential for doing an, uh, some kind of installation work because I think, I think it would work. And I know some people in, in the kind of, that world you know the uh, all the grand museums in london so maybe we can right. have a chat yeah we had we had an interesting contact at the tape at one point and it looks like looked like things were kind of going in that direction but then unfortunately she left and you know how this stuff is when you when your contact yeah. leaves you know you just you're just another faceless artist and uh but uh well also you've got to, yeah, you've got to uh, work with a two or three year 
you know, kind of lead line for those yeah. kind of organizations. So, um, right. Let me get onto it. I'm, I'm, I'm a, okay. a, a, my pet project now. All right, man. Um, I, I would, I would love to see that happen. I think, I think, I, I think it's an idea that could be successful. Uh, so leave let's, it, let's, leave let's see it what happens. Leave, Homer. I'm on it. All right, man. All right. Thank you, Martin. Thank I'll you. see you later. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Lots of love. As are in fact all the residents. Just to reiterate, you need to go to their website or uh, and or Wikipedia. It's got one of the biggest Wikipedia entries I've ever seen for a band. Uh, they've done so much stuff and they're continuing to push the boundaries after nearly well, 50 years. It's just incredible. Uh, they're a real inspiration for me. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Another great guest next week. Uh, I'll try and keep my chin up if you do. Yeah, bye. Hi, just a quick reminder that we, Heaven 17, are going on tour in November. And uh, tickets are close to selling out, if not sold out, in many venues, but there are still some tickets left. Uh, so I'd just like to remind you not to miss out, because it's going to be very special. It's the 40th anniversary of Luxury Gap, and there'll be some surprises. And anybody who's been to our shows before knows that they are... Um, an evening well spent, I hope. Um, so I'm just going to run through the dates for you, just to remind you. And you can, uh, if you go to hem17.com, they're all on there, the dates, and you can buy direct from from the website. So it's 2nd of November, O2 Academy in Leeds. 3rd of November, Boiler Shop in Newcastle. 4th of November, O2 Academy, Liverpool. 6th of November, SWG3 Galvanizers. Where the hell is that? Uh, let me just have a quick look. Where that is? Galvanizers. That's Glasgow. Yes, sorry. Um, O2 Ritz in Manchester on the 7th of November. 9th of November is O2 Academy in Bournemouth. 10th of November, O2 Academy, Bristol. 11th of November, Roadmender in Northampton. 13th of November, Delaware Pavilion in um, Bexhill-on-Sea beautiful place uh 14th of november our favorite london gig o2 shepherd's bush empire 16th of november is the nick rains lcr norwich uh 17th of november is the wolfron uh at the halls wolverhampton and finally the 18th of november o2 academy sheffield so, as I say, some of these are either sold out or close to sold out, but there are tickets available and, uh, in, in uh, about half of them, at least. So please, please come along. You never know. We're not getting any younger. Get on with it. Come and see us while we've still got the energy to do it. Uh, we are really looking forward to it. So please come along. Buy your tickets. Heaven17.com This is from Michael Westcombe. Hi Martin, really enjoyed the Nick Hayward chat. It almost deserves a part two. 
I wanted to hear more about his music. Brilliant chat, though. Loved your hookshot to the boundary about moaning listeners telling you off about politics. I've been racking my brains of who you should get on. You have done some of my suggestions, Bill Nelson, etc. Would Steve Janssen be yeah. good? Yeah. I'll note that down. Yeah, definitely. I know somebody else has mentioned that before. Um, I know you heard Richard on. Would love to hear DJ Shadow, yes. but maybe he's hard to get. Cole Hyde, Rick yep. Smith of Underworld. Underworld and DJ Shadow put on the list. Cool. P.S. Was listening to Mark Moore whilst writing this brilliant stuff. Thank you, Michael. Keep up the great work. From Istanbul. Yeah, we've got loads of fans in Istanbul. Uh, Timothy Pickford. Dear Martin, listening to your Nick Haywood podcast yesterday and your understandable frustration at the freedom of speech naysayers who tend to be political extremists anyway. I felt you deserve some credit where credit is due if only to compensate the negativity that the internet amplifies which made reference to in the podcast. For me personally, WXJL Tonight is a poignant example of one of a small handful of those particular songs that define stroke soundtrack moments in our lives, the handbrake turn epiphany moments as you call them. It made a mark on me as I listened to it on Radio Metro in Newcastle upon Tyne one, one late night. Just earlier that day I'd been visiting my stepfather's parents for the first time. They lived in an old miner's cottage on the edge of Swalwell in the shadow of the very same Radio Metro station next to the River Tyne. At the time, early 80s, it was all a bit of an industrial wasteland. Everything was cold, just black, the time was brown, but the Geordie folk were magical. I was an 18-year-old Somerset born and bred, so for me it was like visiting Mars. <laughs> yeah, I can dig that. Um, the coincidences of the radio station location and lyrics and the outer-worldly atmosphere of that industrial wasteland and the Human League sound left their mark and I was at an impressionable age. It is an amazing piece of music that gives me goose pimples even now when I listen to it. We all have skills, but you are very lucky to possess skills. I wrote this bit. Uh, <laughs> that can be shared and yet personalised at the same time. The beauty of music. I just wanted to say thank you. Best regards, Tim Pickford. That is that was a nice one. Super kind. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And, you know, I know there are some people on podcasts who say, oh, you shouldn't really be reading out stuff that praises you. But everybody needs a certain amount of encouragement to carry on doing what they're doing, especially when you're not earning any money out of it. So thank you. 